You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. In a few moments, we're going to stand and read aloud together two verses, Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. As you know, uh, we are currently in a series on the family called Pulling Together. And the issue is, is how to develop and then maintain God's harmony in your home. And so the message this morning is the third message in that series entitled Pulling Together. And the issue before us this morning happens to be family members who are without Christ. I'd like to see the hands and and, and turn on the lights of the choir so we can see this as well. How many of us here this morning by the uplifted hand would say, I have a family member uh, who, as best I can tell, or maybe you have many family members, you may be the only one who knows Christ in your family, but, but you have at least one family member who does not know, as best you can tell, you don't want to be judgmental, maybe they're a member of a church, but as best you can tell, that family member does not, as of today, this morning, know the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. Would you raise your hand, all the auditorium and in the choir, you know, that's most of us here this morning. That is an overwhelming majority of us who do not have, or who have family members who do not know Christ. And you see, many times when we do not have family, when we have family members who do not know Christ, we get so aggravated with them. Uh, You see, it's so wonderful to be in this kind of a setting where the Jesus in me communicates with the Jesus in you, and there's harmony, and there's peace, and there's unity. But in a family where some people know Christ and other people do not know Christ, there is so often disharmony and disunity, especially if it's a husband or a wife who knows Christ and a spouse who does not. Or perhaps parents who know Christ and children who do not know Christ. Or maybe you are the child and it's your mom and dad or your dad who does not know the Lord Jesus as Savior. And it has created such friction in your home. And I'm sure that you go through periodic uh, moments of uh, concern where you get really convicted about the fact that you ought to share Jesus with that person, but then they get so blooming, aggravating. You just, you know, it just seems like there's not anything you can do. And and after a while, your aggravation with them uh, causes your desire to lead them to Christ to be diminished. That shouldn't happen, and that's tragic when that happens. And so this morning, the issue at hand is not going to be so much how to share Christ with a family member as whether you will do it. There are many approaches to sharing Christ, but you see, none of them are any good until you have made up your mind that you will share Christ with your family members. And so I want you to think seriously with me about what happens in a family when family members are without Christ. When we were living in Africa, there's something that... uh, I know you've seen pictures uh, uh, maybe on some of these National Geographic programs or some of the other programs uh, uh, on television. Uh, You've seen pictures of this happening, but but many times a a predator such as... uh, Well, let's take a lion, since we all know about lions. A a, a lion will 
will watch carefully a, a herd of animals. Let's say uh, impala or, or wildebeest, who are sort of the clowns of, of Africa. And um, that, that, that lion will watch that herd of animals very carefully. And after a while, it becomes obvious that there is one out on the periphery who is not paying much attention. Now, he may be sickly, it may be weak, uh, but it is becoming, it's, it's hard for that animal to keep up. And uh, the lion will spring forward and roar. After a while, I mean, the lion gets within pretty close distance, and then the lion will spring forward and roar. The roar itself often separates that, well, let's say it's a calf, that calf from the rest of the herd. Uh, that's one of the times, you know, the Bible says your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so he will, that roar in that spring will separate those animals. And then you've seen these pictures, how these, these, these uh, lions will chase these animals down. I mean, they're, they're helpless once they're separated. They're helpless. They're not as fast as that animal. And, and usually there'll be a swipe, first of all, that will, will take the legs, the hindquarters out of that, that animal. There'll be a swipe like that. And there'll be a stagger. Well, that's all the lion needs to catch up. Now, occasionally, occasionally an enraged bull or cow uh, will, will come to the rescue, will leave the herd, and you've seen these pictures. I mean, if it's an elephant, for instance, I mean, those, those ears will flare out and, and that elephant will first make a false charge, a mock charge, and then come at that animal, or, or wildebeest, or especially Cape Buffalo will do this. I mean, they will turn on that lion and stand between that lion and the, and, and the cow. And you know, the interesting thing, and I want you to understand this, that, that cow or that bull does not turn on the calf and gore it because really the trouble is with the lion. And so many times in our families, I, I get the impression that when, when a family member is in trouble, when they're on the periphery and they've been separated from the pack and they're sort of on the outside, they're, they're, they're considered the, the odd one in the family or the troublemaker in the family, I've noticed that the bull and the cow and other family members will often turn on the calf as opposed to the predator. And so th this morning the issue is, is how can you effectively in your own, in your heart with your gifts, how can you respond to a family member who is without Christ? Now there's an interesting passage of scripture. Uh, you could preach a whole series of messages on the horrors of abortion, for instance, from this passage of scripture. But let's look at it as it relates to our family members. So will you stand with me? And we're going to think about what, what to do. How should you respond when family members are without Christ. And I'm going to ask you to read aloud with me. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be up on the screen. Let's read aloud verses 11 and 12 of Proverbs chapter 24. All right, reading together. If you forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if you say, Behold, we knew it not, does not he that ponders the heart consider it? And he that keeps your soul, does not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his work? Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will somehow move on the heart of every one of us, Lord, so that we might spring to the rescue of these family members who do not know you as their Savior, have not claimed you as their Lord, and do not know the wonderful peace that passes all understanding 
and the purpose they can have in living if they will trust in you. Open our eyes to these truths, and then, Lord, I pray that our heart would eagerly embrace them and that there would be some sense of resolve as we go from this place this morning that we would determine uh, never again will we look at unsaved family members in the same fashion. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. But keep your Bible open. You're going to need it in these next few moments as we think about this issue when family members are without Christ. Now, I'd just like to make four statements uh, very briefly here this morning, and then we'll come to a time of decision when you decide what you're going to do about what God has spoken to your heart by his Holy Spirit this morning. So here are these four statements I'd like to make. First of all, when you have a family member which is, who does not know Christ as Savior, there are compelling revelations you must acknowledge. You need to stop and think seriously about what it means to be without Christ. Sometimes uh, we forget that, as I said, in our aggravation with them because of their behavior, because maybe of the disruption they are bringing to the family, the trouble they're causing, the fact that they seem constantly to be a barb in the side of every conversation, every family get-together. It's so easy to, to look at them and say, you know, I, I just hope they wouldn't show up, or I just, just wish they wouldn't come, or if they come, I just wish they'd keep their mouth shut. And, and after a while, you forget the condition in which they are living. And there are two pictures painted for us in this passage of Scripture. I want you to look with me, if you will, please. You see, family members who are without Christ are, first of all, and I want to use this phrase deliberately, helplessly lost. They are helplessly lost. As a matter of fact, in this Scripture, do you notice how they are being described? He says, see those who are drawn unto death. They are being drawn unto death. And the picture here in the original language is as if someone, and in this case the enemy, the adversary, has taken them by the hand. Of course, they already have this sinful nature. What he's asking them to do is what their very nature wants to do anyway. And so he has taken them by the hand and they are being drawn away unto death. Now, the language here is really even stronger than, than what I'm I'm able to communicate with words. It, it's almost as if they're being drawn as, as being inexorably drawn, sucked into a whirlpool. They're in an element they can't control. It's like someone who is drowning and does not have the capacity to, to conquer the water or gravity, and they are being inexorably drawn. And so here is your brother or your sister or your mother or your father, and they have literally been taken by the hand, and they are enticed, and they're being led away. They are being drawn inexorably unto death. That's not, that's not just physical death we're talking about. We're talking about an eternity separated from God, a forever. You see, in hell, there's no halfway point where you say, okay, I've, I've, I've conquered the half. Now I've just got, you know, maybe a fourth left of the hell. No, no, it's forever. There's never a moment where you sort of get used to it and say, you know, like you would a migraine headache and say, hey, I've learned to live with this. No, hell is a forever, acutely horrible experience. And time doesn't permit me to to tell you all the things that the Bible says about what it's like to be forever and ever separated from God and everything that is of God 
and spending an eternity in hell. Not because God wants them in hell, because God has provided for their salvation. We're going to see that. And if you're here this morning and you never received Christ, you see, Jesus is God's way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so God has provided a way. But you see, these people have been drawn. They are being drawn unto death. That's the first picture. They're just helplessly lost. Secondly, they are hopelessly lost as far as they're concerned. Now, the only hope and the only help is going to be the Lord Jesus. Now, other than Christ, there is no other help. There is no other hope. He said, no man comes to the Father but by me. Or the Scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The picture of someone being swept downstream and there's only one hand reaching out to help them, and that is the hand of the Lord. And if you don't take that hand, there, there is no way for you to escape the ultimate destiny of being separated from God. But they are hopelessly lost. Listen to this phrase. He said they are ready to be slain. And the picture here, the word ready, really means that they are tottering on the edge. It's almost like uh, children who are walking on thin ice and they don't know they're on thin ice. But you look out there and you say, no, you can't do that. You, that. They'll drown. That ice will... No, you can't do that. You know that, but they don't know that. And so they're just happily playing on this ice that's, going to, that's just going to crash through and they will be drowned. And so that's the picture here. He says they are ready. They're just tottering on the brink to be slain. And that means it'd just be a brutal, horrible fate is going to meet them. If they die without the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens to them will be horrible, ready to be slain. You see, these are people who have not been saved. We speak of them as unsaved people. Not that they have been saved and lost it, become unsaved. No, they are unsaved. They've never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. And so they're being drawn unto death. They are ready to be slain. And you need to let those compelling revelations soak into your heart. That is the state of your mother or your father, your son or your daughter, no matter how good they are, no matter how loving they might be, no matter how wonderful a mama or a daddy you may have, or no matter, I remember a lady telling me one time, she said, let's pray for my son, he's lost. And the first thing she said on her knees was, Lord, you know my, my son is a good boy. No, he's not a good boy. And in spite of the fact that he may look like he's good on the human basis, he is without Christ. That's the reason we were praying. I remember my dad sitting on the porch with a lady in Fordyce, Arkansas. She had called my dad to come to her home and witness to her husband. And so he's sitting there on the front porch and he's explained to this man that we've all sinned and that we're all separated from God because of our sin and that the wages of sin is death. And while he's doing that, this lady comes to the screen door. She's wiping her hands with, with her dish towel and she says, oh, but, but, but Brother JT, you don't understand. My husband's a good man. Well, yeah, but she missed the point. You see, goodness, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the Scripture says, before the Lord. And we're all sinners, and there's none righteous, no, not one. And so you look at that little, that, that child of yours, or that husband, or that wife, or that wonderful mother, father, or those cousins of yours. Listen, they are being drawn to death. Listen, they are ready 
to be slain. They are unsaved. Now, because of that, there are, secondly, some critical responsibilities that you must accept. I mean, not only does logic not... You see, listen, sharing Christ with people, we do that because we're commanded. Yes, of course, the Lord commands us. Uh, we do that because we love, you know, I mean, we love people who are lost. We want them to come to know Christ. We do that because we see the horrible condition that they're in. But, but bottom line, listen, folks, bottom line is this. Witnessing is born out of love for the Lord. Not compassion for the lost. Or, or, because, see, if it's just compassion, you're always going to be waiting until you get a burden or until you realize how terrible it is. But witnessing is, that comes out of love for the Lord. That's why the Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. What was it the Moravian missionary said? What greater expression of our love for the Lord can we give than to lay at his feet the, the souls of those for whom he died? You see, it's one, th it's one thing to have love for the lost and concern for them. But really, the bottom line is this. Evangelism, witnessing, is my response to the Lord. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. So evangelism is basically me responding to the Lord. But there are these critical responsibilities you have to accept. Now, what are these critical responsibilities? Let's look at them. First of all, you and I must seek to deliver them. That's the first word. We must seek to deliver them. He says here, if you forbear to deliver those who are drawn unto death. Actually, there is an even more accurate rendering of the Hebrew here. It doesn't say, if you forbear. It really just says, deliver those who are being drawn unto death. And those who are ready to be slain, oh, hold them back. And so the first responsibility is to deliver them. And I want to remind you once again that that enraged bull or cow in seeking to protect the calf from the predator does not attack the calf. It's a spiritual issue. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in the atmosphere, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. You see, it is a spiritual battle. Uh, the, our enemy is not flesh and blood. And you get, if you're not careful, you're going to get to thinking that your enemy is that, that wayward son or your enemy is that intractable, diffident husband who, who will not... You, you, just, you just get so upset with them and you're just going to give them a talking to. You're going to, get, you're going to straighten them out. Well, you ought not to fail to confront family members who are involved in destructive behavior. But let me tell you something. The enemy is the devil who is leading them, who is drawing them unto death according to the propensities of their sinful nature. And so the first response is to bring deliverance. How do you do that? By telling them that there is a deliverer, not you, but the Lord Jesus. And if they choose not to receive Jesus Christ, at least you ought to do the second thing, and that is at least you ought to detain them. I mean... They are running headlong to hell. So if they spend their forever in hell, at least it ought to be with you grabbing at their shoestrings. Uh, let, let me put it to you this way. I, I, I've asked them to put this up on the screen so that you could write it down. 
And if you don't write it down, you know, at least let God write on your heart. You see, being acquainted with you cannot assure a person's deliverance from hell because Jesus is the one who assures that. They have to receive Jesus as their Savior. But it should provide at least an advantage. <laughs> I mean, knowing you for a lost, an unsaved family member, an unsaved friend, anybody who doesn't know Christ, knowing you ought at least to be some kind of advantage. Right? You see what I'm saying? And so your, your response should be, if they are being taken by the hand and being drawn into death, your response should at least to reach out another hand and grab them. And, and seek to bring them to Christ. That's the, that's the priestly role. The priest was to reach out and take the hand of the person who had the problem and the hand of God who has the solution and to bring them together. And so they at least ought to, if they choose to, to refuse Jesus, they at least ought to do so knowing that you have reached out a hand, that you are seeking to deliver them, and if they will not be delivered, at least you have sought to detain them from that. You have sought somehow to restrain them in their headlong plunge to hell. I mean, they ought to say, well, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I was talking with, um, let's see, Pete Livingston and I were visiting. And uh, he, Pete was in the office of, a, uh, uh, of an individual who's involved in government here in Oklahoma. And uh, he said somehow the conversation came up as to where he went to church, and he told him first something. And the guy said, well, oh, yeah, he said, you know, that preacher, he thinks that if he can get me there, that, that I will become a Christian. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, I mean, he's, he's dead right about that. I, and I'm, I'm glad that at least he knows he's got one friend out here who is at least seeking to share the gospel with him. I would hope that all of those people with, with whom I've shared the gospel there would feel that way. I, I really would. I would hope that, that they would all feel that way because I want them to know I would do anything Paul said, I have become all things to all if by some means I might win them. He said, I could wish myself accursed for his brothers and sisters in Israel. He said, I could wish myself accursed for them. In other words, he said, I want to go on record that if they choose to reject Christ, I'm not going to help them do that. I'm going to seek to hinder them in that. So knowing you cannot deliver a person from an eternity in hell, but it ought to provide some kind of an advantage that they have a friend who's seeking to introduce them to Christ. Now, the next statement, there are some callous reactions. Some callous reactions you must avoid. It's so easy, as I've said over and over this morning, it's so easy to get calloused about this. But there are a couple here in the Scripture that are, that, that are mentioned. First of all, he said, deliver them, hold them back. That, that's what you're to do. But in the process of doing that, if you're... If your friend, if your family member doesn't respond immediately, doesn't respond in a way that you wish they would respond or have prayerfully sought uh, for them to respond, there are a couple of reactions you need to avoid. Let's look at them. And we, they're, they're given to us here in the Scripture. First of all, you must not delay. Let, 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 let's be honest here this morning. Now, it, admittedly, this is going to be an admission but how many of us here this morning, by the uplifted hand, would be willing to say, uh, Brother Tom, 
this hand is attached to a head. <laughs> and, and, and I know this is in my head. I know this is true. But I've been, you know, I've made some earlier stabs, but lately I haven't. And I've, I've been sort of putting off a confrontation with a family member. How many of you would say that? Just raise your hand. Just be honest. We've got a bunch of honest people here. I've been acquired. Okay. You know, it's a bunch of people. All right. Now, first of all, I want to thank you for your honesty because that's, that's where help starts. If you're not honest, I mean, you're never going to get any place. So you, you've been honest. But let me make an appeal to you, okay? Don't delay. Don't delay. You say, well, you know, I'll see them next Christmas. They may not see next Christmas. Don't delay. What does he say here? If you forbear to deliver them, actually, don't delay is the way of saying it. Don't delay delivering them. Um, don't wait. Don't put it off. You see, it's no more proper for you to put it off than it, than it is for them to put it off. You say, well, you know, I shared the gospel, and they said some other time. Well, what makes that any better response or any worse response on their part than for you saying, I know they need Christ, but I'm waiting for a more convenient time. You see, that's, that's not good. Don't, don't put it off. Don't, don't wait. Ask the Lord to give you the grace and the boldness to get on the telephone and in, in, in love. Remember, the adversary is the devil. In love. I like what you said, Jim. Tell them you love them. Don't give them money. I like that too. Um, because you know that that does encourage them, but tell them that you love them. But don't delay. Don't, don't wait. Now, don't be, don't be an aggravating, insulting pest, but make sure that, that they sense the urgency in your heart and that you're not going to put this thing off. You are not going to delay. Uh, I have a friend who kept planning to witness to a man who operated a vegetable stand at a crossroads of this little country church he pastored while he was in seminary. Highway came down and it split. That way was in the town, that way was to another town about 10 or 15 miles, and there was this, veg, this you know, this farmer's produce deal. And uh, the, he had stopped once before, and he knew the man was without Christ, and he kept thinking, you know, I'm going to, but every week he'd come, you know, and he'd turn and go. And, you know, um, he came there one weekend, and... The stand was gone. A truck had come through there and just wiped out everything. In fact, the man had lost his life. When we were living in Zimbabwe, and I was, I was preparing my heart for, for what I believed would be real revival among our, which God really moved. But I, I, um, I remember the Lord just one morning rebuking me and saying, go witness to that man. And I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to ask the Lord what man? I knew what man. He, he was a blind man. He sat down in front of one of the buildings downtown. He would have a foot stuck out in the, the sidewalk, and he would have his cup out. And I had seen him so many times, and the Lord said, go share the gospel in his language, in that Ndebele language. You go down there and sit down with him. And I said, Lord, you know, okay. And so I got on a motorcycle. I drove downtown, and there he was. And you know what? It was, it was rush hour and people were getting out of work. And you know what this old sinful... You know, I've gone, now I've gone 7,000 miles to be a missionary. You know what I did? I rode around the block on my motorcycle. Now that is really great, isn't it? I mean, you know, you send me over there to do this and I'm riding around the block having an argument with God about whether I ought to do this. That is really wonderful. But I'm in just old sinful heart. This issue of delay. 
And, and as I rode around the block, I kept thinking, he might be dead before I get back. And so, man, I got faster and faster and turned the corner. I was so relieved that he was still there begging. I was just, thank you, Lord. And I, I sat down and began to talk to him. And, uh, you know, pretty soon I noticed there were all these feet, you know. And I looked up and a crowd had gathered. But I just didn't stop. And, you know, he just opened his heart, you know, just to receive Christ. Been there for years. Nobody ever shared the gospel with him. Just received Christ. Stood up, began to witness and share with the, the people who were standing around there that had been waiting on me. You know, don't delay. And you've got family members, husband or wife, and you've just put it off, put it off, put it off. Don't delay. Uh, second issue here, don't dispute this issue. If you say, he says, we knew it not. Let me just tell you something. That's an argument with God you're not going to win. Does not he who knows you ponder? Does not he ponder your heart? Does not he, he who keeps your soul, soul know you, know your thoughts? You're not going to win that argument. You're not going to be able to say to God, God, I didn't really think my son was going to hell. I didn't really believe my daughter, my mom, my dad, my cousin, my grandparents. They're just so nice. I just didn't, re I really didn't imagine that they were going to hell. And God will say to you, you know better than that. Listen to what the scripture says. If you say, behold, we knew it not, does not he that ponders the heart? Ponder. That word there in the Hebrew means to roll over and over. Hmm. Does not he who ponders the heart consider it? And he that keeps your soul, the one that's keeping your soul, does he not know it? Well, sure he knows. So don't wait and don't think you're going to win an argument with God over whether you should have shared Christ. Now, the issue is not how to do it here. The issue is whether you're going to do it. So let me just mention one other thing. And, as, and that is that there is a certain reckoning that you must anticipate. There is a certain reckoning that you must anticipate. Now, how, how many of us here this, this morning would say, look, I know Christ is my Savior. I am confident if I died, I spend forever in heaven. Okay, would you? Okay, all right. Bunch of people, not everybody. It, it could be, by the way, at invitation time, if you couldn't raise your hand, this is a wonderful time for you to settle that. But for those of us who could raise our hand, there is a time of reckoning. You say, now, wait a minute. I thought, you know, uh, that we escaped that great white throne. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not it. But there's another judgment. It's called, at least a couple of places in the Bible, the judgment seat of Christ. We must all, the Apostle Paul says to believers in Corinth, stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we receive the things that we have done in this body, whether for good are for evil. See, the issue of the judgment seat of Christ, since it takes place after, what, after we've gone to be with him, the issue is not whether we'll be in heaven forever. That's not the issue because the fact that we're with him and at that judgment means we'll be in heaven forever. The issue here is what did you do with what I gave you? Not what did you do with what I gave Tom Ellef or what did you do with what I gave somebody else, or, uh, but what did you do with what I gave you? The time, the opportunities, uh, the abilities, what did you do? You see, and, and the issue here is not, as I said, whether you get to heaven. The issue is one of rewards. Whether you've been a good and faithful servant and taken what he gave you and occupied until he came, as the parable says. What did you do with that? 
And the issue will be rewards, rewards which you can lay down at the feet of Christ, as a matter of fact, as an expression of your love. So there's a couple of things I want to mention to you about that judgment, since all of us who raised our hands are going to face that judgment. First of all, it's going to be a considered judgment. Does not he who ponders your heart consider it? He takes it all into account. Mulls that thing over, rolls it over and over. Interesting word that's used there. So it's going to be a... It, God's not just going to say, oh, I don't know, just do this to all of them or take this away from all of them, or, or that batch over there. No, 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 no. It's going to be considered in the sense that it's going to be a judgment tailor-made for you, for me. It's going to be custom-made. Everything taken into account. Okay? So you can't say, well, Lord, you know, I know that cousin of mine. We were there, and they said they didn't like God, and I, and I didn't say a word. Just didn't want to create a problem at the at the judge, you know, at, at, with, with my family here. Not only will it be considered judgment, it's going to be a complete judgment. In other words, he says here, shall he not render to every man according to his works? It's going to be complete. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be just right. Well, that is, that's sobering, isn't it? to think that the Lord loves us enough that he puts out there in front of us the reality of a judging of the way we have handled the opportunities he has given us, a considered, a complete judgment. Well, as I said, the issue is not how to witness to your family members. The issue is whether you will. And this altar is going to be open. I would encourage some of you, uh, all of you who would, when we have our invitation time this morning, I'd encourage you to come to this altar. Those of you who raised your hand, you say, I know Christ, I know everything's, I'm a member of a church serving, but uh, I have a family member who's lost, maybe been putting it off. You know, this would be a good time to come to this altar right here and kneel down here and say, Lord, the excusing myself is over. The refusing to confront is over. In love, graciously, I want to share the gospel with a family member who's without Christ. And I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say, well, you know, I heard her say one time she joined church when she was a little kid out there in the country. I'm not going to take that as an answer. Here's a mother or father laying on their de lying on their deathbed. And all you've got is, uh, well, I heard one time they were baptized in a pond someplace off out here. Is that all you have? That's not enough, folks. And so you ought to rush to this altar and say, Lord, I agree with you. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And it could be that you are not a member of this church, but God's speaking to your heart about doing that. This would be a wonderful morning for you to do that. Come find one of these counselors and say, look, we want to join as a family. Or I want to join as a single person, maybe a university student, whatever, by watch care. But I want to join. I want to be a part of this church. You know, what a wonderful time for you to do that. And... If you do not know Christ, you know, here I am talking about all these family members who ought to care about you, but you ought to care about yourself, really. And if you can't say, you couldn't you honestly raise your hand, if you can't say, I know Christ and I know that I know Jesus as my Savior, I'm willing to stake my forever on that, that I have had an encounter where I've repented and believed and Christ has brought forgiveness and cleansing. All that he did on the cross became real for me. 
He paid for my sins. And then on top of that, his resurrected life, he is alive in me. And if you cannot say there has been that kind of encounter with Christ and I know that I have his gift of eternal life, I would urge you to come and find one of these counselors. And they'll go with you to a quiet place just off the side here. And you won't be long, but you can leave here knowing that you have eternal life. Forgiveness, cleansing, eternal life in Christ. It can be yours. Father in heaven, I pray trusting your Holy Spirit will just move in this place in these next few moments. And I pray it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you prepare your heart? Would you get ready this moment? The moment the choir begins singing, the moment I say amen, would you prepare to make your way? These counselors will be here. And Lord, I just pray you would embolden, empower, concern family members and others, Lord, to come to this altar to say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name.